Welcome to the Hell of a Catholic Podcast. I'm TJ Capaldi, Pastor Lackey here at the Georgia Tech Catholic Center. I'm Grant Ason. I am a student here at the Georgia Tech Catholic Center and a layperson. <laughs> I'm Father Josh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so today we're continuing our series of podcasts on the topic of sin. And I've been told by my colleagues here that in order to prepare for this series, that they have. Uh, delve deeply into the matter. I'm not sure exactly what that means, first-hand experience or otherwise, but uh, that's just what they tell me. So um, many classes here at Georgia Tech, there's the there's the uh, the lecture and there's the lab. Yeah. You yeah. know, so the practicing of it. Yeah. I don't think I'm in a state of grace right now. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. We're talking about that later. He's kidding. <laughs> it's a joke. It's a joke. <laughs> All right. So, uh the question for today's podcast is, well, is we hope to explore what is the difference and meaning of mortal and venial sin. Uh, but before we get there, an important question just to ask so that we can have kind of a working definition to go from is what exactly is a sin or what makes some act um, sinful? Um, so I would just throw that question out to you guys to start off with. When I, if I, I were someone were to ask you, what is a sin? What would you say? I, I could say all kinds of stuff, but I think we would make a distinction between something that was just like a bad action and something that's a sin, right? Yeah. So what makes what makes that difference? What do you think, Grant? I I would just kind of say anything that goes against God's will and is, um, yeah, I mean this the Ten Commandments, um, just so, just a bad action against God. I would say, I would say it's a violation of a rightly formed conscience. Okay, that that's works. there's that's kind of uh, that's loaded there. Can we can we break that down a little bit more? Yes. So your conscience is this faculty that you have to know right and wrong, but your conscience is not fully formed naturally, right? So you have to add to it by understanding God's law, by learning virtues, um, growing in grace, all those kind of things. That your conscience, um, if it's rightly formed, it will uh, it will lead you in the right direction in most cases. Um, we also have moral laws that help us. Um, but ultimately, uh, the rightly formed conscience is actually not in need of the law uh, because it already has assumed the law into itself. So, if you have a rightly formed conscience, which most people do not, we're kind of on that we're on that uh, we're on that train, but the train hasn't landed yet, or mm-hmm. la- trains don't land. Mixed metaphors. That's what <laughs> that train uh, hasn't landed. Uh, I'm going to try to use but, that uh, one. <laughs> that's right. Um, but if you have a rightly formed conscience, then a violation of that conscience, so to, to freely choose against your own conscience would be a sin. Yeah. Um, short of that, if your conscience isn't rightly formed, then to freely choose against what you know to be the moral law, whether your conscience tells you to or not. Quick question is, there, there are a few things that are just natural like law type stuff, like like you know, deep down is wrong, and is yeah. that that's part of your conscience too, right? Your conscience knows that as well. Yeah, okay. is that that's where the natural law, that's where it it interacts with your your reason. Okay, right. Okay. So like, there are some things that you know are always wrong. Like, like don't kill, people. don't kill somebody intentionally, right? Because, yeah. uh, you I mean you know, like this is not a good idea. 
right? Yeah. Mm. So to uh, summarize, we think there's two uh, the two aspects here. One is like that it's an offense against God or an offense against truth and reason, but also that that alone is not enough for sin is this aspect of conscience. The Catechism says uh, sin is an offense against reason, truth, and right conscience. So I think that's a pretty good starting definition for us because it incorporates those three different um, different aspects. Um, it goes on to say that it is a failure of genuine love for God and neighbor caused by a perverse attachment to certain goods. And that the goods part kind of brings us back to one of our previous podcasts. But I think the important part here is that it's also related to love. Um, God's commands all kind of come down, start from and return to love. And so it's when we fail in that that we tend towards sin. So in Catholic tradition, we talk about which comes very clearly, I think, from Scripture that we're going to talk about, the difference in the gravity of sin. And just in general, that seems to be something that makes sense to us, right? So somebody stealing $5 from you is not... or Somebody stealing $5 from a stranger is not the same thing. It's not as bad as punching that stranger in the face and it's still not as bad as uh, killing someone or killing a stranger right that same person um, maybe you could make an argument about the money thing if the five dollars was the only thing they had so that there's kind of a nuance there circumstance but, makes right, a difference there. and circumstance makes a difference but basically it, it's it's clear to us in a basic level that some sins are worse than others and we have these basic categories that we've probably heard before um, of mortal and venial. So, uh, first question is f- for you guys: is why is why is it important um, for us to make this? Like, why does the church make this distinction? Is it just an arbitrary thing, or or is there is there something behind it? There's definitely something. You mean like scripturally? I mean. But well, just in, like why would it matter to to make a distinction? Because all sin is bad, right? Oh yeah. But so why does it matter that some are worse than others? Well, it's kind of described by the, the titles of the sins, right? Um, venial uh, venial sins. Um, I imagine. I mean, I, I haven't looked this up, but I imagine the the root of that is venere is to come is like to to become closer to something, but to not actually achieve it. Whereas mortal is to kill, right? There's a death there. Um, and and what the church has always taught that by a mortal sin, charity um, is extinguished or dies in some way um, in a person's uh, in a person's heart. Um, and if charity dies, uh, what that means is then the vivifying grace that God gives us in our life by infusion, something that we don't earn, something that we don't produce, but that He gives us, uh, that we're cut off from that. Um, and so there are sins that will do that will do that that will separate us from God, and there are other sins that they wound charity, they wound that love that's in our heart, but they don't destroy it entirely. Okay, so uh, the main place for us to look in Scripture for this is uh, in First John chapter five. I think it's verse sixteen and seventeen, and I'm going to crack that open right now and just read it. For the rec- let the record show. 
I would um, just like to thank you for not having your Bible unzipped. Podcast, <laughs> so that you could you could hear that. Oh, okay, well, Grant's going to read it for us. Stopped. He stopped surfing Facebook here for a second. <laughs> for a second. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin that is not a deadly sin, he will ask, and God will forgive him, for, or will give him life for those whose sin is not deadly. There is sin which is deadly. I do not say one is to pray for that. All, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin which is not deadly. We know that anyone born of God does not sin, but he who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. That's First John five sixteen through eighteen. Not all sin is deadly. Okay, and what? Uh, so you talked about this thing of charity um, being killed or, or extinguished in the per, in a person's heart. Catechism says um, that it destroys charity. It destroys charity, and sin, and you mentioned you kind of made this connection too. But since God is love, then this is kind of um, in a certain way not that God is ever absent from our lives, but he can be absent from living within us uh, in that particular way. So one thing I think we should make a distinction about is when, at what point in our lives does that happen? Like when are we just born with charity in our heart? Well, I, I want to make like one little distinction there. Um, I don't think we would say that charity, well, you know, you're, you're on the right track, right? So are we born with charity in our heart? The answer is no. We're absolutely not. That comes through baptism, right? And then, so we've, and then we say that a mortal sin can take that away. And then, in what way after baptism is that restored? Well, so that, that's where I think it kind of gets confusing, right? It's because we say God is love, right? Deus caritas est, right? So God is charity. So when we say charity dies in the heart or is destroyed in the heart, it's not like we're saying God is destroyed. Okay. Right? We're, we're not saying that. That's a good right? point. Once yeah. God comes to... So so we can say God is love. That's true. But when we're talking about the grace of charity that's granted to us from God, right? that is a presence of God and a communication of love in our heart. Um, uh, but it is not... Uh, it's, we wouldn't say it's God himself that's destroyed. Because the reason we say this is because at baptism, you do actually receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But mortal sin does not stop the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Like, once the Holy Spirit's dwelling there, the Holy Spirit dwells there. Um, what it does is it cuts us off from the grace of the Holy Spirit, which is charity applied to our hearts. Ah, okay. Yeah, that's very. I think that's a very important, helpful distinction to make, especially just for the applications of living out life. But there actually is a, there's a heresy surrounding that called... Uh, Patripassionism. You ever heard of that one? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's like where the father suffers, right? Um, and that was actually, it's a heresy that's related to a particular thing about what happened to Jesus on the cross. But the theology that came after it made it very clear that our sins don't hurt God, right? So it's, it's important for us to remember that, like, charity dying in our heart doesn't destroy God. It doesn't hurt God. Or diminish him. Right. It doesn't diminish him. He's still there. He's still God. But what we've lost now is the connection of grace in our own hearts so that we can no longer say that the charity that's in our heart is our charity. Mm. Right? It's there, but it's not ours. It's like it's there, but you don't really possess it. Okay. And what's the what's the connection of that between, uh, like, when we say something like, our sin contributes to the suffering of Jesus on the cross. Is that a separate, separate thing? Our sins, I mean, our, Jesus assumed all of the punishment for our sins on the cross. So 
when you say that your sin contributes to the suffering of Christ on the cross, it does, but it's already done that. Right? That price has been paid. I see. Right? And it's like we hear people say pious things about how, like, our sins can hurt God. They damage God. They, you know, cause some sort of whatever to God. And I have no doubt that God would grieve over the idea that we would choose against him. Right? But even that grieving is a choice and a grace that he's giving to us to call us back. Mm. Like, we cannot, we can't harm God. It doesn't work that way. We did that one time in history, right? Yeah. But it's not going to happen again. Okay, so uh, kind of back to the more uh, central question here. Uh, something that comes to mind for me is uh, uh, Brian Butler, who heads up a ministry down in Louisiana, has mentioned in some of his talks previously that uh, when he was younger, he wished that the Vatican would release a comprehensive list of all mortal sins so that we would... <laughs> So that we would know, and that then we could just not do those ones and basically be okay. <laughs> you know, fortunately, there is a list of all grave matter, which well, I imagine we'll talk about in a few minutes. Yeah, so I guess the question following from that is, is like, what is, what makes something a mortal sin? Um, how do we know if something is a mortal sin? And there's, there's three things, um, and Father Josh just mentioned one of them, is that it's deals with a great the object is a grave matter so you know what i mean by object if you listen to our previous podcast um and it must be committed with full knowledge and deliberate consent so there's your three things for a mortal sin and we'll try to talk about all three of those in some level of detail here um so yeah go ahead father josh what were you going to say about grave matters or like a list of grave matters and i think the catechism talks about this but the catechism actually so i remember when i was uh, going through seminary one of the projects that we were given by one of our professors as a class was to go through the catechism and compile a comprehensive list of all grave matter that's mentioned in the catechism which we did although he gave that to like every class that ever went through so there was another class that did a better job than us um, and I still have it. Like, I'll, uh, I'll send it. The problem with it is, it's not like it's in one spot in the catechism. There's all these things throughout the catechism that are defined as grave matter. But when you look at the list, um, which I did not bring with me today, but when you look at the list, you look at all these things and you're like, hmm, this, this stuff makes sense. It's all stuff, for the most part, that more or less directly violates one of the Ten Commandments. I mean, it's not like derived. You know, like, sometimes we'll say that or when we do say that, like, gossip or detraction falls under the fifth commandment, thou shalt not kill. It's like, well, wait a minute. If I'm gossiping, I'm not killing anybody. Um, it would fall under kind of doing any sort of harm to someone, right? Or we could say that getting in a fist fight with your brother because he's an idiot um, falls under the fifth commandment. Um, but it's not a direct violation of the fifth commandment. The fifth commandment is written as you shall not kill, right? So... Serious sins or grave matter that kind of fall under that are basically direct taking of human life, right? So that would be murder or any sort of mutilation or serious violation of a person's bodily integrity, um, things like abortion or uh, torture, genocide, maybe. torture, those kind of things um, all fall under that because it is such grave and basically a direct violation of the words that are written there. Mm. 
Yeah, and the Catechism says uh, kind of something similar in the sense of grave matter is specified by the Ten Commandments. Yes. Uh, corresponding to the answer of Jesus to the rich young man when he basically quotes off a lot of the commandments. Uh, I got a quick question. Yeah, yeah. This just came to mind. You mentioned that all the commandments are kind of geared toward love, right? Could you say that all great matter is kind of everything that goes directly against God's love or it has like there's no love intended um, towards the other person? Or I think we could say that I don't I, know. So, like, you see what I'm trying to say, get across? Would we say that all grave matter is objectively disordered? I, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, probably. I I don't know if we can say that, but I'm prepared to throw that out there as a hypothesis. It's possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's definitely possible. That all grave matters objectively sort of, which we defined on another podcast as what you are seeking to accomplish, you can never actually accomplish. The, the thing you're really looking for, yeah. you can never actually get it through that action. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that would make sense because if it's grave matter, um, and, and if you fill, fill the other requirements then this action is going to destroy charity in your heart. So no matter what you're looking for, it doesn't really matter, right? If it ends with charity being destroyed in your heart, um, and without charity in your heart, like for that's uh, just the doctrinal point, um, those who've committed a deliberate mortal sin, right? Uh, that's a person who will not go to heaven, right? That is, a, that is, the, that is the standard for hell, mm. the lack of charity in the heart. We'll come back to that. Um Great matter. We could talk about that more, but let's move on to um, the next point of what is a mortal sin, which is full knowledge. Uh, what uh, what is that? I mean, that one might make a little more sense, but what would constitute someone not having full knowledge? Like it's obvious if uh, if I'm totally ignorant of it, but like what what is like yeah. I don't have full knowledge of that. So. I. I remember when I was in seminary thinking to myself, full knowledge is the thing that, like, are you kidding me? Like, what do you mean by full knowledge? Does that mean at the moment that I know exactly what I'm doing and that I know the consequences and I know what's going to happen as a result? Like, so, I mean, who would actually do that? Like, I don't think there's a lot of people that sit down and think to themselves, if I do this, I am going to go to hell and I'm going to burn there for all eternity. Um... I don't know that many people think like that when they're committing a moral sin. So I remember having trouble with this concept of full knowledge. Like, does anybody ever really have full knowledge <laughs> of anything? Well, yeah. Right? What is it? It's like, does the smartest mathematician on earth have full knowledge of math? The I answer always, to that is clearly no. I always right? assumed that it was, uh, like, full knowledge that it is a grave matter. Okay. And I, I've heard that explanation, too. But why would you use the term full? <laughs> yeah, there's not right? Like, how does full modify knowledge? If we're saying that the knowledge is whether or not it's grave matter. Yes or no. <laughs> that's like yes or no. Yeah, right? half a yes. So that's the yeah. thing. I actually think this is, when I was studying this in seminary, um, this, this and the next point are both somewhat vague. Okay. There is a little bit, which you must love. Yeah. <laughs> um, there is a little bit of vagueness to it, but I did read... Um, I love it in theory. Most moral theologians will come to some sort of statement that it's like, basically, the, your knowledge... In fact, it says in the Catechism right here, it says, it presupposes knowledge of the sinful character of the act of its opposition to God's law. Right? So that you have to know 
that the act you're doing is in fact sinful and it's opposed to God's law, right? So not just that it's a bad idea, not just that this might not be the best way for you to accomplish your goal, but to know that it is in fact sinful, right? Mm, yeah. So in that way, full modifies knowledge, right? Because I could have knowledge that this is a bad idea. Like in terms of how to best spend my Saturday night, you know, like I could say, well, it's probably not the greatest idea that I drink myself into a stupor. Um, but, you know, it's maybe not the worst idea ever, right? Because I could, you know, I could kill somebody, right? So drinking myself into a stupor is probably not that bad compared to that, right? And you can go about knowledge that way. But I think the knowledge has to be that this is a sinful act. It is contrary to God's law. Mm. What about then you can say full knowledge. Well, in the last podcast, we talked about abortion. Like, let's say a girl just she doesn't she doesn't understand all of her options, and she probably she probably knows yeah she shouldn't do it. It's kind of you know it's murder, and um, she knows deep down it's a bad something bad, uh, you know. But she doesn't. She's probably clouded by judgment, clouded by sin, and you know parents are pressuring her. You know, what about that situation? Is I think, that, so you're, you're mixing up consent and knowledge there, right? Okay. But I definitely would say, let's say you take somebody who's an atheist, right? Okay. Now, even atheism, you know, we know dogmatically and also just logically, like, you can you can arrive at the existence of God without, without revelation, right? But you take an atheist, fine, um, who's in whatever situation she is in or whatever, and somebody who doesn't believe in God... The question is, can that person ever have full knowledge? If it's an opposition to God's law, if you don't recognize God's law, right? Or if you don't know God's law, right? To you, this seems like maybe not... It's an unfortunate, it's an unfortunate decision that you have to make in imperfect circumstances. Um, I don't know. I don't know how much knowledge would be impaired in that situation, but I can imagine knowledge being impaired there. Yeah. What if What if the knowledge had been presented to her, in a, but she just rejected the knowledge? I think if it's been presented to you in a way that is compelling, um, you know, somebody throwing a book at you and say, "Hey, read this." Right. Right. That's probably not because like if she just denied the, no, the yeah. knowledge. And well, then then that's something else. Right? Okay. Yeah. But I, I do think I think basically the standard it's not a high standard, right? To say right. that. I know that this is sinful, and I know that it's in opposition to God's law. Okay. Right? You don't even have to have fully conscious, like, vivid knowledge of it at the moment. It's like a guy who sits down to look at pornography, right? You know that you're not supposed to be looking at this. You know it's in opposition to God's law, right? At the moment, you may be overpowered with other stuff, but then we're talking about consent. Okay. Yeah. We're not yeah. talking about knowledge there, okay. right? I see what you're saying. Yeah, so I think that's an interesting point. We kind of keep inching towards this question of deliberate consent what is i mean those are two pretty big words deliberate consent like consent is that you're giving permission right like i'm choosing to do this thing and deliberate means like i did it on purpose like and maybe could have some implication of i wasn't forced to do it by in any way um but so what are we what are we getting why is that important in the first place well i think I mean, if we look at the words again, I, I, I haven't looked at the etymology of it, but like con and sent, consent, sentire. So it's like with knowledge, right? With with thought, sentire, right? Um, so this is an action that I'm doing with thought. And deliberate, like the idea of deliberation, means that not only is it done with thought, 
but it has been done through a process of actual consideration. Um, so deliberate consent is is not an instinct. It's not something that someone does not an ha- even habitually, right, or an impulse. It has to be something that someone and 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 and, and people have this experience. It's like going back to my example with pornography, right? The guy sits down and he's looking at Facebook or he's looking at, you know, whatever, Mario Kart, whatever people look at on the internet these days, and uh, starts to think to himself, yeah, I kind of want to go look at this, but I I probably ought not to. Maybe I should get up from the computer. Maybe I should not look at this anymore. But, I don't know, you keep looking at Facebook, right? And little by little, the thoughts keep coming. Maybe I should go look at, you know, what nakedgrandmas.com or whatever it is that people like. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's a real site. Everybody, everybody's laughing here. Wait, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> the humor is in the, the fact that it's yeah. outlandish. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, but uh, whatever it is that people want to go look at, and uh, and little by little, they're thinking to themselves, "No, I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do this." But they don't get themselves out of their situation, right? So little by little. It's like the consent is being given, right? Little by little. It's not like a. It's not like a moment where you say, "Okay, I'm going to freely choose to turn away from God right now." It doesn't work that way. But consent, you're deliberating along the way. Your conscience is telling you, uh, maybe we should go do something other than sit on the computer right now. Maybe you should put your phone away. Maybe you should go do something else, right? And you're deliberating along the way. No, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep doing this. And little by little, the next thing you know, you've ended up in in serious sin, right? So, yeah, so now here's the question. Uh, Everybody looks so somber now. (laughs) (laughs) Just got serious. Uh, Complete consent can be mitigated by some things, right? Uh, Absolutely. uh, What are some of the big things that might, I mean, I've heard before, like uh, addiction is is an example of that. I mean, there has to be, first of all, like there has to be some level of consent for something to be a sin in the first place. Even a venial sin requires sufficient consent, right? So you have this kind of space in between sufficient consent and then like complete consent, right? Um, If I'm holding a gun to your head, and I say to you, open that bank vault so that I can steal this money. You're cooperating. I mean, there's no question. You are cooperating with me robbing the bank. But the duress that you are under, right, the duress that you are under makes it not even a sin, right? We're not even talking, this is not even a venial sin. This is now not even, it's not even a moral act, right? Because the level, you have zero consent your your emotions are all going crazy. Whatever it is is going on. There's no consent. In order for something, for us to even really talk about consent, we have to first eliminate those situations that remove all consent in the first place. So addiction is one of those kind of things. Would we say, though, and I think this is a question people often don't consider, um, Can shouldn't we consider the... Uh, the events that led up to absolutely that. oh absolutely so what i was going to say about addiction is you take somebody who's addicted to i don't know heroin or whatever uh the person who is acting in order to feed their addiction assuming it's one of those real physical addictions um much of what they do 
would not even count as a sin. It's not even, not even venial. A lot of what they do is not even a sin. Some of what they're doing is a sin, no question. But you've got to kind of look at all the different elements. And then as what we were saying, TJ, is we've got to look at, well, how did you get yourself in, there, in that shape in the first place, right? And you could say, well, there's no question, as you were starting, you're definitely committing sins. But it's possible for an addict, I mean, I've had, a, I've had some experience with this, right, with, certainly with people who've come to confession. It's very possible for an addict who has a very serious addiction to not be sinning and to be in a state of grace and yet still addicted, right? They're coming to confession. They're sorry. They're really sorry for what they did a long time ago. They got themselves into the situation. And they're sorry every time it happens. But when the when the addiction hits, it kind of just takes over. It's not that way for everybody. Addictions hit everybody in different ways. But there's no question that addiction is the kind of thing that can deplete our consent enough to where the act would be venial or maybe not even a sinful act at all. Which is a hard thing for people to understand, right? To understand that somebody who's addicted to drugs could be taking drugs and not even committing a sin. Or that somebody can murder someone and not even be committing a sin. The act itself, the act itself is wrong. But that doesn't make it a sinful act. Yeah. Right? How do you... How so do you- you're coming, you know, you somebody attacks your brother Davis as he's walking down the street because they think, well, he looks like the one I'm going to attack. Weak and enough. Weak. He looks yeah. weak. Yeah. <laughs> so, hurt a little bit. And in the process, you're trying, you come to his assistance and in the process of struggling with the person, um, you know, you shove them down, they fall, break their neck, and die. That uh, Right? Okay, so that action, like, you've just killed someone. Now, you may not have intended killing, but if you deliberately got in that fight because you were mad, you're going to get manslaughter at least. Right? Yeah. But in this case, it's not even a sin. Like, it wouldn't even be a sin. What if, what if it was avoidable to not kill the guy? It, well, I, I, that's why I chose he, you yeah. shoved him away and he fell and he broke his neck. It's different if, you know, you knock him down and then you pick up a baseball bat and start beating the you-know-what out of him, right? right? That's a whole different issue, okay? What if, and then this might just be going, there's a lot of obviously different situations, but what if he's about to kill my brother and the only way I can save him is by killing this guy? Oh, uh, that's still, that those kind of situations... Um, assuming that you've judged the situation correctly, but even if you haven't, right? Because what what's he, happened he there? A second now your knowledge is messed yeah. up. Your knowledge of the situation, not your knowledge of the sin, right? But yeah. your knowledge of the situation is imp- is imperfect. Your consent is all screwed up. Yeah, because you have this affection for you have this love. It's not affection. It's love for your brother. Yeah, that you don't want some harm to come to him, right? So you do something, and even if it turns out that the guy wasn't a threat, yeah, right. If it turns out he's got a water gun. But it looks like a real gun, right? Those kind of things, right? This all, all of the other situations that happen affect how mortal a sin could be. Yeah. Okay. Right. Whether it's mortal, whether it's venial, whether it's even a sin in the first place. Right. So there has to be sufficient consent, but somewhere, somewhere south of full consent, somewhere south of complete consent, and an action would fall as a venial sin rather than a mortal sin. Well, I'm sure all these things will come back up again. I have a lot more questions, um, but we are unfortunately out of time. We've addressed, you know, all the points of what a mortal sin is, and we know uh, mortal sins very serious, and that venial sins are what uh, you know lead ultimately to mortal sins. So, uh, fortunately, the first uh, first sentence in the whole this whole section of the catechism is. 
the gospel is the revelation in Jesus Christ of God's mercy to sinners. And that's really the good news is that God is merciful and that sin is not the end of the story. Um, so we'll continue to talk about sin in some a future podcast, most likely. Um, but uh, that's all we have for mortal and venial sin today. Except one thing as a priest, anytime I talk about mortal sins, I always feel like I have to throw this in. If you have committed a serious sin, if you've committed a mortal sin, don't don't shy from going to confession. That's that's what priests are there for. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed no matter how many times you have to go, no matter how many times something's happening. We don't get tired of hearing your confessions. We don't get tired of forgiving your sins. The our heavenly Father, so like the first week Pope Francis as as pope, like one of the things he said in his first week was our heavenly Father never tires of forgiving our sins. We get tired of confessing them, but he never gets tired of forgiving them. So if you do find yourself um, even having struggled with mortal sins, um, don't stop going to confession. The grace that you receive there is exactly what you need in order to overcome those sins. So, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, if you have any questions or concerns, um, if you uh, have a suggestion of what we should cover based on what you've heard so far, or you want us to address a specific situation, please send us an email at uh, podcast at gtcatholic.org. Uh, we thank you for listening, and we hope that you have a great week. God bless you.